Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, guys, welcome. I am here today with Kiara Smith, and Kiara runs Aloha Integrative Therapy. I will let her introduce herself because she's going to do a much better job of this than me. The reason I asked Kiara, we met on Instagram. She had chimed in on a few of my posts, and she kept kind of referring to gross and fine motor skills uh, having to do with pelvic floor health and kids and potty training. And so, of course, I was like, who are you? And will you please be on my podcast? Because <laughs> all of this makes so much sense to me. Um, we jammed for a little bit on the phone and I was like, stop talking, Kiara. I got to get this all recorded on a podcast for all my listeners because it's so important. So welcome. 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 Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and sharing all the knowledge about pediatric pelvic health OT and just OT in general for kiddos and, and parents. Awesome. So why don't you, um, how did you get started in this and explain a little bit about your business? So I am a occupational therapist that specializes in pediatrics. I have been a occupational therapist for over 10 years. I worked in various settings like hospitals, schools, outpatient clinics in both adult and pediatrics. And I was able to land at a phenomenal children's hospital. Some of you may know, but it's called Stanford Children's Health. and Just a hospital. little hospital. Yeah, just a little <laughs> hospital. And I was so blessed to be able to get my training in pelvic floor therapy. Typically, it's pediatric physical therapists who are in the field, but for some reason in that organization, the OTs were the ones who were the experts in helping this population. So I was able to get my training there and found that that was my passion and niche and just kind of went with it. And I started my own private practice in 2017 when I transitioned to be a mama and I said, I need to be working part-time and being home and watching her and progress her development. And then I was able to, to see a caseload of kiddos for pelvic health uh, issues. And this was in the Silicon Valley. So I'm located in Northern California. Currently, I am in Sonoma County, which is north of San Francisco. And I have my own pediatric practice here that exclusively treats um, pediatric pelvic health uh, dysfunction. So I only see those kiddos here because it's such a needed service. And I was seeing kids all the way up and down the Pacific Northwest when I was at Stanford and people would travel because there was no one else to see them. So I knew when I was in my own practice that I'd be able to serve this population. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I I had no idea it was, I mean, I know it's needed because I'm in the bladder control industry, (laughs) (laughs) but um, I had no idea it was such a a huge thing. Now, I think most of us know pelvic floor. When we think of that, I think most of us think of women who have had kids and then can't go on the trampoline. Explain the pelvic floor, like actually what it does, and especially like with kids, how how do kids get a pelvic floor dysfunction? That's a great question. I get that uh, question all the time. So the pelvic floor is basically the muscles that span the bottom of the pelvis, and this provides support for our internal organs. So it also assists with urinary and fecal continence, meaning it helps us pee and poop. So um, when I see the dysfunction in these muscles, it's because they're not working correctly for some reason. It could be a medical condition. It could be a behavioral or sensory challenge, or it could really be a motor dysfunction. So the kids don't really know how to coordinate those muscles correctly. And sometimes the pelvic floor muscles can be in spasm, or they could be weak, or they could be a combination. So we want to figure out where exactly this kid is having the dysfunction in the pelvic floor muscles. And we want to make sure that we're tackling this issue earlier, because if we don't, it can persist in adulthood. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're giving the proper attention in the childhood and developmental years to be able to say, okay, we've noticed this kid is having trouble with um, the coordination of avoiding pee or poop. So would you only call a pelvic dysfunction in some sort of toileting? Is that the, the marker, I guess I'm saying, you know, like, or are there other markers for pelvic dysfunction? It could be predominantly we see it in toileting, but we can see it also exacerbated in abdominal pain, you know, picky eating. So what happens is the pelvic floor is actually connected throughout our whole abdominal cavity and it's attached to the diaphragm, which is our breathing muscle. And sometimes we'll see kids who have issues with like reflux um, early on, or they have issues with eating. And then later on, we notice that they're displaying these symptoms of bedwetting or fecal leaking or constipation. So it could present in various ways, but the primary way that we know is that it is an issue is with the toileting. Okay. So this is interesting to me because, and just so you guys know, Kiara and I had like a list of questions we were going to discuss and I'm totally going off the, off the rails here because like everything she says, I'm like, wait, wait, ding, ding, ding. So like in my job, of course I, I work with, you know, potty training and there are so many things. Okay. Let's talk about poop. Releasing poop is a really huge deal. But in my line, I see it more as an anxiety. And so I work with kids through the anxiety and through the actual, the psychological aspect of it. What's a danger zone for you? Because I imagine in potty training, so I know you and I had talked before too about like dribbles. So the kid who dribbles. So when I get a kid who dribbles and it's say six weeks after potty training, that's really normal for me because I say it's part of the process. They're learning how to um, control it. And if you don't make a big deal of it, usually it passes. Every once in a while it doesn't. So like what age would you determine like toileting troubles? Mm -hmm. And as opposed, Mm -hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of mothers now, they're in the throes of potty training. So I don't want them to think, well, your kid's got pelvic dysfunction because you're like on day seven of potty training and your kid's having an accident. You know, like where do you draw that line at dysfunction? So typically we say if a child is four years old and older and has had the success of, and I put that in quotation, success, 
typical potty training will have um, accidents, right? You just, that's part of it. But if the child is four years old and has been successful with potty training to a typical extent for a year, and if they are dribbling or they're having issues past a year and they're having like leaks and incontinence and that kind of stuff, that's when there would be kind of like a red flag or um, kind of a light that goes off to say, oh, maybe we need to check on the kid's bladder capacity. There's something wrong with the actual physiology of the bladder or the muscle that controls the bladder or the sphincters that have to be put close. So that's kind of where I uh, have heard that kids with the dysfunction, typically we want to give that time for them to learn. So developmentally, it's a huge skill that they're acquiring. And so we want to make sure that their nervous system as well is maturing along the way and progressing with their developmental skill of bladder and bowel control. And so anything past that year marker is when, like I said, we would be a little bit more concerned and want to check it out a little further. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, that like, this is the least altruistic thing I'll ever say, but like, this is great (laughs) because so when I am at a loss, I can say, Hey, go see Kiara. (laughs) I do, you know, every once in a while, it's not often, but every once in a while, I'm like, dude, we've done everything. We've done everything we could possibly do. You know, I'm not really sure what else we can do. And so, um, so that's really good to know. And I'm going to take our questions kind of out of order because it seems like a really good place now. Like, you said the nervous system. And I know before we've talked about the sensory system. Mm-hmm. How does that affect a child's ability to independently toilet train? So that's a really loaded question. There's so many components <laughs> to that question, but let's break broad it down. Strokes, broad strokes, yeah, broad <laughs> strokes for, for our discussion today. But we know that a child has eight sensory systems. So the one that people know least is called interoception. And that's the biggest one for how our body feels our internal sensations. So things like hunger, thirst, emotions, the urge to pee, the urge to poop. So sometimes what I see is some kids have what's called an over-responsive reaction to those urge sensations of pee or poop, or they have an under-responsive reaction to pee or poop. And both can cause or affect dysfunction in toileting. What do I mean by that? Well, say a kid has had a traumatic experience. So you've worked, Jimmy, with thousands of families and children that this has been a reality for them. One bad poop and they're traumatized. They are going to withhold and they're going to keep that pee or that poop in the place where they know that it's not going to hurt, which is inside their body. They're not going to let it out. So that will make our body turn off the signals from the bladder or the rectum where the poop is to the brain saying, this was really traumatizing last time. I'm not going to let it out again. So that signal goes to the brain and then the brain tells the rectum or the bladder, okay, then don't, don't let it out. And so the kid starts tweaking the messages and they start turning it off. They start turning it off. So then they become under-responsive. Now, can I just, can I interrupt you for one second? Okay. So the sensory system is functioning almost automatically. Like, okay. Because what I experience, so I have this experience that you're talking about and parents will swear that it's behavioral and that the kid is 
doing it on purpose. And I will say, no, it's not. The sphincters are grabbing and it's almost like the child's fighting their own urge. Oh, you are like confirming so much for me. And I have not been able to back it up. I say, I don't, I don't know why this is, or I will often say, I don't think they they have the urge. They're not feeling the urge. And sometimes that can just be because of butt trauma, but now I know it's the sensory system. Oh, yeah. that's so interesting. So it's okay. the nervous system, really. Yeah. And so sometimes these kiddos genetically are just, that's that's the cards they were dealt before even having the potty training issues or going through the process that their body just didn't have that strong feeling in the first place. So oftentimes we see those kids um, who have the toileting difficulties with interoception of feeling pee or poop, they also have some trouble with picky eating because they can't feel the thirst or hunger. So all that actually is a cycle. So if you can't get like enough water or enough like fibrous foods because you're a picky eater, you're going to be more prone to constipation. Oh my God, this is mind blowing. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really a holistic approach that we have to look at from various angles. And I like to tell families, Hey, I'm just one cog in the wheel. You know, like I'm just one part of this puzzle and team that's going to help your child achieve continence with confidence. And we just have to be more uh, curious and be a detective on what is this child displaying for us as the adult or the expert to formulate a plan of care that's going to support not only development in this skill, but also to the cognitive component, the social emotional component. So all these things are very interconnected. And um, that's what I tell parents, especially with the sensory system. We know that it's interconnected with the whole body. And um, well, it's a curiosity that you said, and I I say translate, we need to translate what's Mm -hmm. going on because the kid can't tell us, they can't articulate this. And I do think it's very funny because every year, I don't know what's driving this, but we become more and more disconnected from our bodies mm-hmm. and parents want this one fix. Yeah. Like I yeah. want the poop fixed, but I don't want to look at anything else. And I'm like, yeah, but we can't. And you're saying like, we need to even be more curious. And yes. so I really like that though. And I wish, like, I hope everybody listening, like you really get that. It's not just fixing the problem. There's layers mm-hmm. to this that are, that are really interesting though. Like I <laughs> wish more parents did have this curiosity. I think we're just, we're so busy that it's like, just get the poop in the toilet and get on with it. And I'm like, yeah, but there's like a rich dialogue happening in your, your kid's body, you know? Mm-hmm. So I understand you're like one cog in the wheel, but so I have personally never gone for pelvic floor therapy, even though I pee six times an hour. I literally pee three quarters of a gallon at night. Like I'm just always peeing. Yeah. <laughs> so I know, I know it's an issue. I just haven't had time to go find the pelvic floor therapist, but I have heard from friends who swear by it and they, um, there's some internal work. Yes. Now, how do you work with children? Because I'm assuming you don't you don't do internal work with kids. No, that's a great question, and that what di- that's what differentiates between an adult pelvic floor therapist and a pediatric pelvic floor therapist. We utilize non-invasive, evidence-based approaches um, that can be very effective in helping a child gain control of independence with bowel and bladder function. So we do all external examinations. Nothing goes inside. No one's touching anything around the private areas. Um, We're basically taking a more hands-off approach when it comes down to touching the genital area and the um, perineal area. So I will verbally cue and we'll look. So 
an example would be, I want to check if this child has what we call uh, an anal wink. So it should be like, you know, the sphincter of the bottom of your anus kind of closes and opens depending yep. on what I'm asking you to do. So yep. I'll have that child show me that. And that shows me, okay, this kid has no idea what they're doing with their, with their muscles of the pelvic yep. floor. That's the first indicator of, okay, I know I need to, to look at that piece. And then we kind of go and we look at just the whole body, like musculoskeletal wise. How is their body holding tension and where are they holding tension? Typically kids that are coming in for pelvic floor dysfunction with bowel and bladder issues, their rib cage is like flared and opened and their back extensors, their back muscles are super tight. And this, what this shows me is the intral abdominal pressure inside their tummy is so high that even if they were going to try to poop something out, it's going to be hard because they're trying to go against this like pressure that's been like, in yeah, yeah, so yeah. Long. yeah. So we look at different musculoskeletal things and, um, we do a little bit of abdominal massage to help with constipation if that's the issue, but everything is pretty much external. Well, it's so funny because I tell parents my experience with withholders, and I'm talking about extreme withholders, mm-hmm. poop withholders, is that interestingly enough, I don't often deal with pee withholders except during the pandemic. There mm-hmm. was record amounts of pee withholders. I think it was just the anxiety. But I said, you know, with the withholders, I said, you and I might hold our tension like in our shoulders. Mm-hmm. I said, and your kid holds their tension in their butt. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, like, so it's, yes. it's kind of good to get that um, confirmation. So let's discuss very quickly how gross and fine motor skills, because we talked about this on the phone and this is where Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, don't talk too much now. Wait, save it for the podcast. (laughs) Because I think this is such a great thing that parents can utilize right now. You know, it's a a very even at home kind of thing. So can you say more about that? Yeah. So gross motor skills are really important because what we have to understand is we're expecting a child to be able to maintain a seated or squatted position on the toilet or sitting on a potty on the floor. And so if the child doesn't have the ability to demonstrate what we call like core stability or trunk stability, that's the the stomach muscles and the back muscles being able to keep your body upright and then have to avoid pee or poop, they're not going to be successful. So we want to make sure that this child is um, gaining strength in their body to be able to do some of these tasks that we expect them to do. And balance is a big gross motor skill that's important, not only sitting balance, right, but standing balance. They have to manage their clothing, their undergarments. They have to pull it up and pull it down. And so there's a lot of this body coordination as well with the gross motor skills. So if you know that your child is a little bit more clumsy or they're having difficulties with just basic things that are age appropriate, like running, skipping, jumping, and they're kind of behind, they may have some challenges with their core muscles and that's going to affect their ability to coordinate their pelvic floor, their abdominals to avoid pee or poop. And I think a big reason we want to kind of make sure that a child is strong enough to do this is because we want to make sure they're able to sit on any toilet, right? So if yeah. you are out in public uh, and you don't have your squatty potty with you and you're trying your best, <laughs> like you're going you're gonna to need your child to be able to maintain those positions. 
Right. Okay. And you no, know, have you seen, have you, I've seen an uptick when I started potty training full time, like 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And granted, I wasn't working with as large a population. I'm seeing withholding getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I think it's just a, a too fast paced, anxious world that we live in that creates just a, a common, that's what I think about the pandemic. I think there was just a global anxiety that was underwriting everything. What would you say? I also see a down. T- like parents are so careful. We're being watched all the time. We're being judged all the time. Like we can't let our children, I call it out loud parenting. So like you're at the playground and your kid's going up the slide and like you have to prove to the other moms that you see your kid and you think it's okay. So you have to say, oh, Johnny, be careful. That's not how you go up the slide. So we have to do this like out loud parenting. Do you think there's a correlation there that like we're not letting our kids play as big, as dangerous, balance, proprioception, rolling down hills, those killer, what do they call them? Merry-go-rounds that were like carnage. You get them going and kids would be like flying up. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't hear of poop withholding back then. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a, a great kind of correlation or association that you're making because the kids aren't getting as much movement and they're not getting enough variety of movement. And that, like what you just mentioned with the little spinning merry-go-round with the swings that go back and forth or the tire swing, like I grew up with that and the kids nowadays don't have that because the liability. And so the playgrounds you see these days, you're like, are you kidding me? That's a playground for my kid to go on. Like it's not (laughs) developmentally like supporting, um, growth and Mm -hmm. skill. And so Children nowadays, I'm noticing if they're not getting that input, they are demonstrating more difficulties with body awareness, which we Mm -hmm. know you need for toileting. They're having difficulties with fine motor skills. So the ability to use your hands in space, penmanship, or manipulating your food containers or your clothing when you're toileting or brushing your teeth. So all these things are affected by the lack of variety of movement. And as an occupational therapist in pediatrics, this is the number one thing I'm always preaching to the families I work with. It's like, even though there's no swing at like in your house, you can make a swing. Put your kid inside a big blanket, get one person on one end, one person on the other end and do swinging back and forth. And then go oh, on a yeah. walk around in a circle. So the inner ear is the thing that registers rotary movement and it mm-hmm. helps with body position and space. So that's the vestibular system. And if yep. that's not getting any different kinds of input besides just sitting upright or laying down or maybe laying on your side, then it's not going to integrate uh, to its potentiality. And that's what we want to look at when we're looking at development is how can we support overall development in a child to have a good foundation because we know if their sensory system is getting all of these inputs that they're going to be number one regulated and number two ready to learn and it's huge especially during the pandemic you have these kids sitting in front of a screen and they're not getting that movement and this is I was like I wish we had the swing idea for the pandemic when everybody was in lockdown because <laughs> like 
parents are going crazy. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's well, I have huge. a whole chapter of this in my toddler book. Oh crap! I have a toddler because proprioception and vestibular mm-hmm. is it's regulation. That's what mm-hmm. I'm coming at it from a behavioral standpoint. Yeah. And I have told parents. I mean, right down to soccer is so wildly popular, which is fine, but that's one movement. That's yeah. running, and yeah. so pushing. I have noticed that kids who don't get enough arm movement, big, I call it big play, you know, just whole body. They're more likely to push and shove and be pokey. They're seeking it out. Yeah. It's sensory seeking. And so I try Mm -hmm. to describe that to parents, but it's so great to of course have an OT here, you know, (laughs) bagging me up. Yeah. (laughs) Intuitively, um, you know, through your experience working with these families that that's what they needed. And you yourself are a mom and you have your, a child. So you've been through that. You've seen that development. Yeah, it's awesome. Why else would a kid need to see pediatric pelvic health? Like what other, I'm I'm so interested in like what kind of clients you get. Is it always just toileting or is there another? So for pediatric pelvic health specifically, I only see kids who have the bowel and bladder dysfunction, but a pediatric occupational therapist can see kids who have, you know, the delays in fine motor skills or delays in self-care, meaning they're having trouble eating, dressing, uh, using their hands for scissor skills or things for school. Uh, But for me, for a pediatric pelvic health therapist, I typically see kids because I'm able to identify if there is a pelvic floor dysfunction or if there's a sensory component to it. So my background as a pediatric OT in general, I have a strong sensory integration background. So that really helps with the toileting. And then also too, sometimes I get families who want to be proactive and they seek me out to say, all right, I know that I'm going to have this process coming along with the toilet training in a couple months and my kid has, maybe they're on the autism spectrum disorder, or I know that they have some sensory challenges. I'd like to get your kind of suggestions or recommendations on where to start because we already know this, our child has these challenges. So they want to be proactive. Another thing is that what I mentioned with having peer poop accidents lasting longer than a year, that's when they typically will go to their pediatrician or a specialist. So a pediatric gastroenterologist or a urologist, and they'll say, I think my child, if they are in the know, they'll ask for a referral to a a pediatric pelvic floor therapist. And I will say a disclaimer that we are not found everywhere. So that's the, the challenge that I'm seeing across the yeah, country. Yeah, and I have to interrupt you because I work regularly. I'd say there are two pediatric gastroenterologists who understand withholding and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a sin. I can't even believe it. Yeah. And I love pediatricians. Pediatricians are freaking awesome for what they do. They're not pottying experts. Mm-hmm. And so I'll have pediatricians go and say like, well, just put a diaper back on them. Yeah. This kid's four and a half years old. That's not a solution. So they can be crap. And like, I have found like, Two groups of pediatricians. Half the group comes to me because they're like, this isn't my job. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't do this, yeah. <laughs> you know? And the other half is holier than thou. And, yeah. you know, um, so take that with a grain of salt, everybody yep. who's listening. I did want to ask you, so I found this very, very fascinating, kind of going back to the gross motor skills. So, you know, penmanship has taken a real dive and people 
associate, everything gets blamed on screens and keyboarding. Mm-hmm. I am the last living person who doesn't think it's killing us. It's just a part of our society. Yeah. <laughs> but penmanship, so a friend of mine was having, um, her kid's penmanship was awful. Took her to an old school OT. Like mm-hmm. this woman's like 70. So she was like yeah. first generation OT. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, because in gym, they don't do wheelbarrow. They don't do yep. crab walk. Um, she said it's core muscles. He's got low, low core. Yep. And so they started working on, and those are ones I recommend, crab walking and wheelbarrow. Yeah. And the kids' handwriting increased. So it's like mm-hmm. that big a deal, you guys, right? To, yes. Do you have any other like gross motor skill things that that you could recommend? Because p- parents today are psycho. So people are going to hear this <laughs> podcast and put their kids on like an ab routine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, be, I hear don't you. Be an overachiever, people. Like, yeah, get abs through play. <laughs> exactly, ab strength and core strength through play. That's the biggest thing when you are working with a child and wanting to strengthen muscles of their body, whether that be the core, the back, the arms, whatever, your hands, your fingers. We want to encourage it through play. So wheelbarrows and crab walks are phenomenal because not only are they strengthening, but they're giving our joints proprioceptive input, right? So that that pressure to the joints is really helping our brains and our bodies um, make connections about how it's working. And if that increases, then we should kind of assume or we want it to show in things like handwriting or going to the toilet or cutting with a knife and a fork. So these things that we're doing, like you mentioned, the um, big body play, the gross motor sensory play is going to help with the fine motor activities. So I like to do the yoga. So yoga is amazing because things like down dog. So for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically having your kid go in a V position with their hands down and their feet down and their bottom is up in the air and they look like an upside down V. Why do I like that position? Well, it's because their head is below their heart, number one. So it helps with regulation. And number two, it's working on the vestibular system at the same time as proprioception and just overall interoception, like how they're feeling. Because when you get your head below the level of your heart, you get that adrenaline rush. And so you have an internal feeling of usually calm or uh, it's excitatory, meaning like you're more alert. So there's things like that, like a lot of the yoga poses. I have these yoga cards yeah, I had those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had those when Pascal was little. They're fun. Yeah, and downward dog. Easy. So, do you think that would be? I'm wondering, like, would that be? So, I always tell parents that tantrums are an arc, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you can catch a tantrum, like as it's cl- just as it gets off the graph, you can mm-hmm. diffuse it. I'm yes. wondering if, like, downward dog would be a really awesome. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put a downward dog. <laughs> yeah. So what you can do is you can have like a sequence, right? Like we're going to pretend we're going to be a rock. So then you go into just regular child's pose mm-hmm. and then you say, okay, then we're going to be, Simon says, we're going to be an upside down V. And then you go into downward dog and then you say, okay, we're going to go back into rock pose. So you can make it a game and make it a playful thing. And you have to figure out like where your child, exactly what you said, where's that tipping point. And we want to have it before that kind of like goes to the wrong side or the overwhelmed side. So (laughs) that's a great idea. Yeah. The dark side where you can't get back. (laughs) And I tell parents, once you're there, just don't even try. Let it ride out. (laughs) Yeah. Let it ride out because their nervous system is already like peaked out at that point. Yeah, for sure. Are there any takeaways that parents, obviously you're a specialist, you know, Mm -hmm. people can come to see you. Are there any other at-home strategies that you can let us know that would be like super helpful or? Yeah. So for 
to support pelvic health in general, I like to look at a few things that parents can implement immediately. So um, looking at posture. So how are they sitting on the toilet? And your book goes into this in in really great detail about having their feet supported because we want to make sure that they're able to avoid with what we call the anorectal angle to be straight. So we don't want a kinked kind of tube for the poop to come out. We want it to be nice and straight. And then also avoiding your sitting schedule. So being able to do those things consistently and with a routine. And I like to tell parents, like, don't kill yourself over this. Like, just make sure that they're sitting after the meals, um, 10 to 15 minutes after meals. And especially if you have a child who is very resistant, um, to have them just participate in this. And this can look like... No, let me timer. ask you that. I'm going to, because I'm going to fight you on this. I'm going to take you hmm. to the mat. Okay. Because <laughs> um, I don't, when when I get people, like a lot of GIs will recommend a sitting schedule and mm-hmm. I don't like it because what happens is the child wants the parent to know they're trying. So there's fake mm-hmm. pushing or maybe real pushing. Mm-hmm. I also think in the realm of our kids being little humans, there is nothing more annoying. Like if I tell you, Kiara, go sit to yeah. try to go to the bathroom and you don't have to go. Yeah. that I actually find it kicks resistance up. So yeah. I prefer to like, let's try to get the, ur- let's find out when yeah. the urge is happening. Urge. Yeah. 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 So I agree. I should have said what I was talking about here, but um, it was for the kids that are, we already know that have these troubles and that oh, okay. have the fear and anxiety. This is something to like work on. So it's just like, being able to be in the environment and not necessarily um, having them do anything. So it's just sitting after a meal. And these are the kids who typically have been on Miralax for six years and who don't want to go to the bathroom at all. And we need to just have them be comfortable. But for the neurotypical kids, I totally agree with you in terms of urge sensation. I don't want them to be sitting when they don't really feel that they have the urge because then yeah. it, it negates what we're trying to for them to learn. I'm talking about the kids who've had trouble for many years and okay. need help. And on that note, what do you think about, so parents will say to me like, oh my God, she's sitting, but she's not even trying. And I'm like, a three-year-old shouldn't have to try to no. poop. I mean, occasionally we get stuck and we have to like yeah. push it, but like mm-hmm. parents are expecting this like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, it shouldn't be, right? So that's yeah. sort of... And um, how about pee? Should they be pushing out pee? Should they be pushing out a last amount? Like what about that push pee out sensation? I'm assuming uh, that's not good. No. So we shouldn't be like continually pushing anything out. So we're not having a baby here. We are, we need to push <laughs> a little bit to get it started to kind of right. let the body know, but then we need to relax. So a lot of the kids that I see with the pelvic floor dysfunction are doing just what you're saying. They're pushing, 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 and they, they can't relax their pelvic floor to actually fully empty the rectum or the bladder. So that's an issue. So if you're telling your child like, Oh, push, 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 that can actually cause more issues um, later on in life. So I'd say you shouldn't be trying your body is telling you something, or I notice that you're crossing your legs. Oh, your body's telling you, you have to let some pee or poop out. Maybe go, uh, you know, go to the bathroom now or whatever you're telling your kid, but no, it shouldn't be a continuous pushing. I think that might be my issue. (laughs) Yeah. And no, we get that. Like some people say, Oh, just push it. And it's like, you have to push to begin the process, but then you need to relax that and to relax. If you're noticing, Oh, I'm holding tension there. I need to breathe into my belly. So when we inhale and breathe, the pelvic floor descends and it relaxes. And then when we exhale, it actually comes up. 
So people think it's the opposite, right? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where the, the, the coordination piece comes to be. And most of the parents tell me, I've been doing this wrong my whole life. Like (laughs) I've been telling my kid to do what I've been doing my whole life. And oh my goodness, like it's mind blowing. And then they come back like in two weeks and be like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Like, it's yeah, amazing. I can't wait to get off this call and like pee and practice. <laughs> I'm gonna be 52 this year, and I think I've been doing it wrong. I think I'm busy. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I mm-hmm. think I'm busy, and I can't wait to get off the toilet. So I pour like I try to yeah. pee faster. Yeah, yeah, and that's what happens with the kids. They're trying to pee faster so they can play, and they don't fully empty the, the their bowels, and they're tense the whole time. So they think, oh, I'm done, and then they go, and then they have a leak on the playground because it wasn't it wasn't all done. out. Yeah. And I can tell. So part of when I work privately, I have people send me pictures of poop because I can tell. And most often the poop looks ribbony. Like it's come out of like the Play-Doh factory. And I'm like, yeah, but you can see the anus is an opening because your child's producing like ribbon shaped poop, you know? Yeah. And they're not fully emptying. Yeah. Right. Okay. Do you have anything else you want to add? Anything random that we haven't discussed? I could talk to you all day long. So, um, And I kind of want you to live with me so you can like <laughs> tell you like, yes, Jamie, no, Jamie, direct Maybe my actions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're such a valuable parenting resource. It's been fascinating. Yeah. How would people, I know you do telemedicine, but say somebody yeah. wanted to contact you and you can't, you know, they're across the country. Can yeah. you still work with people that way? Even though you yeah. can't do the belly massage or things yes. like that. That's a great question. So with the telehealth, we are able to do everything that I would in the clinic. And I would actually have the parent be the hands-on and describe what they're seeing or describe what they're feeling. And I found that this has strengthened the bond between the child and the caregiver because you're doing therapeutic touch. That's what I like to call it. And you have this kind of time and space to do it. And I like to tell parents that it's better to start somewhere. So that's why jumping on a call with me or doing a consult is better than just leaving it to, Hey, they're going to outgrow it. Cause everyone's been telling me that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. then I can also direct these, um, families to my network of people across the country that may be closer to you that can actually do a hands-on, examination, but typically a lot of the kids that I see now because of not only coronavirus, but just because of the distance between us, we're able to still do everything that you would typically do in the clinic. So that's not an issue. I just got like chills up my spine and I feel like I'm going to cry. What a beautiful, like that makes so much sense to me too. I can go into your house and potty train your kid in eight hours. I can, Mm -hmm. I know this, but I work with parents. I don't do that anymore because Mm -hmm. the parents this is a glitch between you and your child, mm-hmm. right? And so what yeah. a gift the telemedicine has been probably because I'm thinking, wow, for the parent to be that connected and bonded to their kid to do that therapeutic touch. Yeah. That's like an amazing gift because yeah. so many days we think, I'll have parents like, um, what do I want to say? They hand over their power to me and I'm like, dude, I'm just like, I'm an yeah. idiot savant with a bag of tricks. Like, I don't, <laughs> don't give me too much power over here, you know? But because I'm this quote unquote expert, they give up all their parental parental intuition or, yeah. and I'm going, don't do that. So that's, that's just beautiful. Yeah. I would almost, it's almost a better way to work. I would think, you know? Yeah. And it basically what I tell parents is I'm just 
your guide and your instructor. Mm -hmm. And I really want to see you. And this is how I work even with the parents and families that come into my clinic. I am the person who's teaching them these things and educating them. But I say, you're the expert on your child. And I'm here to help you through this challenging moment, but it also could be very beautiful and very, um, uh, it's kind of sacred in a way because your child is going to grow up and they're not going to be little or like this forever. And these challenges will pass just like everything else. Like it will pass and it'll get better. And I'm a person who just so happens to know this information to help you and to support you. And that's my number one thing is like, I want these families, especially the kids to be able to go through their life and feel self-worth, feel proud Mm -hmm. of themselves And continence is a huge thing that they have to deal with. And once that starts resolving, you see this transformation of not only the child, but the parents and the caregivers. It's, it's phenomenal. And that's what I do, what I do. Yeah, for sure. I see the same thing. I'm like, wow. And I'll even tell people, did you think a month ago that, you know, and they're like, my relationships changed with them and our house is so happy. And you know, you go, yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Oh, this has been wonderful, Kiara. I will make sure that all your information is in the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, but if you want to give us your website real quick and. So you can find me at Aloha Integrative Therapy. And um, I also have a Facebook page for my clinic, Aloha Integrative Therapy. And the Instagram handle is at Aloha Integrative Therapy, but you can also search me by my name, which is Kiara, Q-U-I-A-R-A Smith. And I am super excited to support you guys. And Jamie's phenomenal and I applaud her work and she's so (laughs) inspirational and I'm so just blessed to have met her and share my expertise and knowledge with you guys. Ah, likewise, sister, likewise. (laughs) All right, I will get this podcast up. And like I said, I'll put all your information in the show notes and uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. This took us, you guys, this took us like six weeks to get an appointment together. So (laughs) (laughs) not easy with two busy women. (laughs) No. And I have a toddler at home. So I'm like, ah, (laughs) I I really don't have time. Right. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Kiara, be well. You too. Bye-bye. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book pre-sale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified OCRAP consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.